Hello and welcome to Ag PhD Radio. I'm Darren Hefty. And I'm Brian Hefty. Thanks for joining us today. So today in the show, we're going to talk a little about potassium, one of my favorite topics. I know. I'm nervous about this. So if it's <laughs> drain tile or potassium, oh no. I'm like, man, I'm never going to get a word in edgewise. Brian's so fired up and passionate because of what we've seen not only on our own farm, but across the country. All right. So if you've got any questions for us or if there's anything you'd like to talk about that's going on your farm going on on your farm right now, our number here is 844 44 ag phd That's 844-442-4743. You can email us radio at agphd.com or find us on Twitter, Darren Hefty, Brian Hefty, or Ag PhD Media. All right, so let, let's just get right into it with potassium. I would say the most important thing that we want you to do is soil test. You got to do some soil testing. We talk to a lot of people that do plant tissue analysis, and that's great. Don't get me wrong. I like that as a supplement, but I really, really want to see what there is in the soil. Because never forget with plant tissue analysis, it's not predictive. Plant tissue analysis only tells you how are you doing that day. So you don't know how you're going to do tomorrow or next week or next month. Well, that's why we need the soil testing to give us an idea of how much is there to begin with and how much should we be supplementing as we go throughout the year. When you're running soil tests, you need two things. You need parts per million, number one, and you need base saturation, number two. Both of them are extremely important. Obviously, parts per million talks to you about pounds, Okay, so if you don't have enough pounds per acre sitting there, obviously you know you're in trouble. But with the base saturation, that tells you how you're doing in ratio to other nutrients. And the problem is if potassium isn't in ratio with the other nutrients, then you don't get enough potassium into the plant that way either. So you, number one, have to have enough pounds. You, number two, have to have enough ratio of potassium out there. And when you do both of those things, then generally speaking, things go just fine. Now, I would say this too, and this is a a more advanced point that I will get you thinking about to start the day here. When we talk about potassium, it takes a tremendous amount of potassium to feed almost any crop, especially when you start talking big-time yields of corn and soybeans. Boy, it, it requires a crazy amount of potassium, and that's fine, but here's where I'm going with this, this more advanced concept I'm going to give you. I want you to think about drier areas and the amount of potassium you might need in your soil. Okay, so what I mean by that is this. Most nutrients, like potassium, will go into the plant with water. When there isn't an adequate supply of water, then there typically isn't as much potassium that's going to get into the plant. Okay, I mean, that only makes sense. But our goal as farmers and as agronomists is to keep the plant well-fed all the way along. So I want you to think about potassium just like if you had to, let's say, take some medicine. Okay, And today you have a full glass of water to take that medicine with. So you dump your dose of medicine in the full glass of water and you drink your full glass of water. Okay. Now, let's say tomorrow you're only given a half a glass of water. If you throw that same dose that you need of your medicine in there, what's the concentration of water to medicine? Well, 
it, it basically we're talking double. Okay, so all of a sudden you've got twice as much medicine per water per amount of water in the second situation where you have half the glass as opposed to the first day. Okay, this now think about this just a little bit with potassium. We farm in a dry area, so we've gone the last month with almost no rain. Okay, at the mean in the meantime, our plants have needed a ridiculous amount of potassium. We're right at the peak for soybeans, and we've now passed the peak for corn. But still, during the course of the last month, we were at the peak for corn too, in terms of how much per day did that that crop need in order to maximize yield. So where I'm going with this whole thing, and you probably figured this out already, in dry areas like for us, we need more potassium in the soil. Now, the nice thing is we're not going to lose our potassium. There are some people, certainly, if you are listening today and you have sand, you have irrigation, you have lots of rain, and your ground isn't frozen for half the year like ours is, you're going to say, well, boy, my, I, I can't hold potassium in my soil. It'll leach to some degree. Yes, I agree with you, and I'm not suggesting that for you, you build your potassium levels to ridiculously high levels or anything. But for us, in our region and where we farm, we have little rain, our ground's frozen almost half the year, and we have very heavy soils. So we're not leaching out potassium. It is not leaching away, okay? There's there's no way it's going anywhere. So I have to think about, all right, Normally, we talk about 4% base saturation K and an adequate amount of parts per million. Okay, so usually when we hit 4% base saturation K around here because of our heavy soils, we have a very adequate amount of parts per million. But what I'm suggesting to you is that's not enough, especially in a dry year like right now. So if we bump our levels up to 6 or 7% base saturation K, and that now means we then have more parts per million there, That means I have, with every drop of water that ends up getting into that plant, I've now, in effect, fed it a little more potassium. Okay? So all of a sudden, I've made my crop a lot more drought tolerant. And that is one of the most important things for drier areas where you have heavy soil and you're not worried about leaching that you got to be thinking about. And now, this is going to fly in the face of, hey, I'm trying to get by as cheap as I possibly can on rented ground. Okay, on rented ground, that's where we're probably going to talk today a little bit about banding that fertilizer. But if you own the ground, the money's going to come back to you eventually. But yes, you're going to have to stick a few more dollars into potassium up front to have that ground nice and built up so you can get through these tough years where you don't have a lot of moisture and still get pretty high yields. I'm going to talk about potassium on today's program and take your calls and questions at 844-44-AG-PHD or you can email us radio at agphd.com. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. You would never plant seed or apply herbicide with a 20% success rate. So why are you still applying phosphorus fertilizer with a maximum availability of only 20%? Double your phosphate availability and increase yields with NutriCharge from AgroTech USA. NutriCharge's patent-pending technology protects phosphorus from negative chemical reactions that tie up your fertilizer investment. NutriCharge performs across all soil types and pHs. Contact AgroTech USA or your local Van Deese supply representative today. More choices, more money. With Bayer Plus Rewards, you choose from our broad portfolio of high-performance products 
earn more money on the eligible products that are right for your farm. And use our new portal to see your purchases, track your rewards, and decide how you want to use them. Visit MyBayerPlus.com to sign in and start earning. That's the advantage of more control in your hands. That's the plus. Downtime during spraying can lead to huge yield losses. Keep rolling with the Pentair Hypro Force Field. This pump features a unique self-regulated chamber that allows the pump to run dry while eliminating cracked seals, so you can spray longer and more reliably. Learn more at pentair.com hypro. Stop losing money from your stored grain with the Enzone Fan Control System from FarmShop MFG. The Enzone monitors outside conditions to run your fans so your grain naturally reaches ideal temperature and humidity. For more information, visit farmshopmfg.com. If you're looking to get the most out of your foliar nutrition and fungicide programs, ask your ag retailer about Nutex EDA from Sipcam Agro. Nutex EDA has been proven to increase foliar micronutrient tissue levels and maintain those levels for an extended period of time. When tank mixed with fungicides, Nutex EDA helps support plant health, resulting in higher quality and yields. Nutex EDA is an affordable and effective solution that should be part of every grower's high yield toolbox. Welcome back to Ag PhD Radio. We're talking potassium here on the show today. Again, if you'd like to call in, our number is 844-44-AG-PHD or send us an email, radio at agphd.com. So first on the show today, we've got Bill Brush with us. He is a consultant out in California. Bill, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, doing great. We're fighting fires and uh, hot temperatures, but other than that, uh, doing well. Well, neither of those two things sounds like a lot of fun, so hopefully you guys are staying safe out there and it's uh, it's not right near your farm ground or anything. But I, I guess we're, we're talking about potassium today, and obviously California is a lot different than where we farm, South Dakota. So tell us just a little bit about potassium applications and what the average farmer out there might do. How do they apply it? What form of potassium are people using? Just talk to us a little about uh, potassium use in your area. Uh, you know, we have such a wide variety of climates and soil types in California that that you have to have a specialized potassium program for yourself and where you are. Uh, in the northern part of the state, we get heavy rainfall, 25, 30 inches of rainfall, uh, allowing us to use a variety of sources of, of potassium, you know, a, a murate or a sulfate of potash. Uh, you get down into the southern end of the state where we only get about four inches of rainfall, uh, murates with the amount of chloride you might load some of these crops with not the most desirable. Plus, we don't like using chloride in any of our red triple crops out here. So, so it really is a lot of different programs. But I would say the most important thing that you need to understand is that that uh, crops use pounds, not parts per million, not ounces, not a little of this and a little of that. They take pounds to need their to make their production, and. If your soil type is not conducive, meaning light, sandy soils, the holding potassium, there's only one way to get enough in, and that's multiple applications. You know, as many as you can get on. Smaller amounts, a lot more often. However, with a big, heavy soil that's got a good uh, calcium-magnesium ratio, you can build up your potassium over time 
and and then just be able to feed your uh, crop a little bit more consistently, kind of on a, how much do I put on to how much am I removing to keep it in well well in balance. Yeah, I agree with you. Potassium is an interesting nutrient because uh, how you're going to apply it and when you need to apply it really changes based on those environmental conditions and especially the soil. So I was just saying earlier in the show, like in our, our area where we're frozen for almost half the year and we have super heavy soil our and almost no rain, I mean, our risk for leaching is basically none. But yeah, for you, there's a lot of variance there in the soils and especially those light soils with irrigation and some of the ones that maybe uh, get a little more rainfall, yep, you got to be definitely concerned about that. And also, you probably don't have the freezing temps like we do, so it uh, it really changes things. Um, so, yeah, we, oh, go ahead. No, I was going to say, really cold to us is if it gets below 30. Yeah. <laughs> yep, and uh, 30... I know it sounds funny, but yeah, for us, we, we just don't see much, okay? <laughs> right, and 30 degrees would be a nice, warm winter day for us, so anyway... <laughs> Um, one of the challenges, too, that we've had with potassium has just been some of the interactions with magnesium. We've got, in our region, a lot of high magnesium soils. Are you dealing with some high magnesium soils there as well? Yeah, we, we have, particularly in the north, up in Sacramento Valley, which is uh, the valley, the part of the Central Valley that's above Sacramento, and they call it Sacramento Valley. Uh, a lot of magnesium. We fight magnesium all the time. You know, we start a lot of times on some un, uh, soil, new soils that had never worked on before, they could be upwards of 50% base saturation of magnesium or more. And a lot of stuff, 40, uh, down at 40% calcium. These are hard soils, very almost impossible to build potassium levels until you get your calcium up and, and get it up over 60%. And then we begin to be able to. So in the meantime, what do you do? You don't quit farming. So you have to get a strategy where you can feed that plant multiple applications of potassium throughout the year. Uh, a lot of tree crops that I work on, uh, standard practice was on a lot of these heavy mag soils, one application, they might put 500 pounds of potash on and weren't getting much of a response from it because it really wasn't available to the plant. It was available for a short period of time and then got tied up and not really put on the soil colloids at all because the clay colloids just had no room to accept it with that much magnesium in the soil. So, so what strategy became pretty quickly uh, at least three to four applications, particularly through the growing season, of potassium, and we all of a sudden saw our tissues coming up in potassium, trees performing well, and then as we got our calcium up, we began to really build it up on the soil colloid as well. Uh, so... Uh, the one thing I forgot to bring up when I was first time, one other huge thing that we deal with out here is water quality. Yeah. Uh, there's a lot of gr great spots here that are uh, have really good quality water, and we have a lot of spots that don't have very good quality at all. In fact, we have the other end of that scope, which is you have too good a water, which means it's a, a kind of stripping type of water, which will strip calcium and potassium off the soil colloid just because it's trying to mineralize itself and it'll actually strip nutrients off the soil colloid as it uh, as the, the water is trying to mineralize itself a little get give it a little body uh, so we have ev about every kind of 
a water problem you can get from really good to poor to snow melt to to almost unusable water. And oh. one of the issues... Go ahead. Yeah, I was just going to say, so explain what what do you mean by poor water quality? What are you looking for where you say, oh, I see that in the water, and that to me means poor quality. So what is that? Yeah, water water is a lot easier than soil because basically what you have is you have your nutrients in solution already as opposed to trying to, to cleave them off of the soil colloid and measure them. Here, you already have it in in solution, so you're measuring it. And there is no charge. It's obviously, just like the soil, it is always balanced. There's no, there's doesn't have a positive charge or a negative charge. But within the water, the positives and negatives will balance out, so you will have no negative, a, a net neutral charge. So that means if you have calcium, magnesium, sodium, potassium in your water, you have to have a corresponding anion, which could be a sulfate, could be a carbonate, could be a bicarbonate. And it's those on the, uh, it could be even chloride, but those balance out your, with your cations. So when you're looking at uh, calcium, magnesium, and on the other side, if it's a lot of bicarbonate, it will bind up a lot of calcium. And uh, if you have a magnesium uh, bicarbonate in the soil, you will begin to tie up calcium and release more magnesium, and you'll have more problems there. But we're getting back to potassium. What you have out here, which is with our proximity to the uh, ocean, some of our underground water's got sodium in it, and we always have a problem, even if you have ample potassium, if you have a, an abundance or more sodium available than potassium, you will get all kinds of problems with sodium burn, and uh, mainly because sodium, once it's in the plant, begins to substitute in places that normally potassium should be there. Particularly on sodium burn would be the guard cells that are in the somatas. Uh, Basically, potassium controls them opening and closing. If uh, sodium gets substituted into those, they are just closed. They don't have the ability to open and close, so basically they gather water to the point that they can't hold anymore, and they rupture, and that's what causes a lot of that necrosis along the outside edge, and if it's bad enough, it just keeps moving closer and closer, and it can actually fry the entire leaf. So we worry a lot about what's in water, and this is another reason to adding potassium multiple times, or adding potassium to your water so that we're consistently getting enough potassium in there so we don't run into some of these uh, high sodic problems. Yep. Yeah, Bill, it sounds certainly challenging out there. And you mentioned the sodium. <laughs> I mean, a little sodium is fine, but uh, you start getting too much, it causes lots of problems in that plant. Again, we've been talking to Bill Brush. He's a consultant out in California. Bill, thanks for the time today. Really appreciate that. Appreciate it. That was great stuff. Okay. Appreciate it. Anytime, guys. Yep. Thanks a lot. All right, stay tuned. We'll be talking more about potassium right after this. More choices, more money. With Bayer Plus Rewards, you choose from our broad portfolio of high-performance products. Earn more money on the eligible products that are right for your farm. And use our new portal to see your purchases, track your rewards, and decide how you want to use them. Visit MyBayerPlus.com to sign in and start earning. That's the advantage of more control in your hands. That's the plus. 
When it comes to commanding herbicide formulations, you know New Farm. New Farm brings you Panther SC, an animal when it comes to speed of control and long residual on a broad spectrum of tough broadleaf weeds like mare's tail, palmer amaranth, and water hemp. And did we mention convenience? Panther SC works in pre-plant, pre-emerge, and post-harvest systems and keeps your rotation options open. New Farm and Panther SC, here to help. Oh my goodness, did you see Bob's gorgeous soybean rose? Um, totally. I couldn't believe how clean and weed-free his entire field looked. I'm like, so jealous. I heard he started using this new post-applied residual herbicide called Perpetuo, and it's burned down and long-lasting residual powers making his soybeans like literally the talk of the town. Ah, so Perpetuo's his secret. Yep. Talk to your retailer or visit valent.com slash Perpetuo to learn more. Always read and follow label instructions. Hey, Adam. New drone? Not just any drone. I mounted a laser on it to take out weeds. Look out for that tree. In the power lines! Oh, it's in for the house. There's a simpler way to protect spring wheat from weeds. Perfect Match Herbicide. The broadest spectrum weed and grass control in one product. Learn more at perfectmatchherbicide.com. Always read and follow label directions. The laser. Wherever you go, whatever you're doing, whenever you want. Farm your way with Case IH AFS Connect. Now you can farm, share data, and manage your fleet however, whenever, and wherever you want. Learn more at caseih.com slash farmyourway. Worried about glyphosate-resistant weeds and grasses in your corn? Unleash the power of new Impact Z herbicide and get the early post-application advantage you've been waiting for. Save $3 per acre when you combine Impact Z with a qualifying insecticide purchase. Go to buy2save3.com for details. Buy2save3 is a service mark and Impact Z is a trademark owned by Amvac Chemical Corporation. All rights reserved. Impact Z is a restricted-use pesticide. Always read and follow label instructions. Thanks for joining us today. This is Ag PhD Radio. I'm Brian Hefty Live. Uh, we're talking about potassium today. And, you know, with potassium, it is a, a very, very important nutrient. We always talk about N, P, and K, right? But we find it, of those major nutrients, the N, P, and K, it's potassium most often that is lacking on farms that we work with really all across the United States and Canada. It's a major, major issue. So that's why we wanted to discuss it today. Uh, next on the show, we've got Ty Fickenshire with us. He is with uh, Luma uh, and Soil Warrior. Uh, Ty, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. How are you? Excellent. Okay, so I, I was talking a little bit earlier about rented ground versus owned land and just, you know, one of the challenges of something I like to do is just build up the whole soil is, boy, if you don't own the ground or let's say you want a faster return on that potassium investment rather than over the next 20 years, uh, banding is a pretty good way to go. So talk to us just a little bit about running banded potassium because like with Soil Warrior, I mean, that's what we do even on our own farm. Uh, with strip till, that's a, a pretty good way to go. 
Yeah, definitely. And, and you look at start looking at the expense. I mean, potassium can add up in a hurry if you're looking at any sort of deficiency. Uh, so getting it right down there where the roots are going to be able to get it throughout the season um, is definitely critical. Um, you know, getting that in, into the soil versus where it could possibly run off, where it's not as mobile as, say, your nitrogen or sulfur. Um, but getting it down in the soil where the roots can access is definitely critical for the, for the most efficient use of, of potassium. How about depth for potassium? I, I mean, a lot of people get all worried about where you're placing certain nutrients. And like you said, the potassium can move just a little bit. So where do you like to see that potassium placed? Yeah, I like to see, you know, if we can get that down deeper in the profile, um, you know, like I said, it's not going to move quite as much. And then also you want to be aware of the, the salt index on that. If you get too much of a concentration in one area, um, you will start to see some salt uh, or some root burn um, if it's if it's in a banded application. Um, so getting that down deeper and then also allowing that deeper application will allow for more late season uptake of, of potassium as well. So uh, if we can get that kind of incorporated throughout the zone, but then down deeper would be um, would be ideal in that situation. Yeah, I'm glad you brought up the whole salt index thing because when it comes to strip till, there are a lot of people that do it in the fall, but also a lot of people that do it in the spring. And I always tell guys, look, if you want to do a whole bunch of fertility, please do that in the fall. That gives you more chance <laughs> for stuff to move around a little bit, more water, everything else. It, it, you know, just less chance for that root burn. Are you seeing that very often? Do you find there are are a lot of farmers that are overdoing it and then they're having some of that root burn that like you talk about you know not not so much with with potassium you know we, we usually see the p and k applied in the fall just like you mentioned um more so if there's injury in the spring it's going to be from from nitrogen but yeah. If, yeah, if we can get that p and k uh, applied in the fall that's going to be the best situation for sure yeah i was going to say i rarely run into somebody who has overdone it on potassium and caused any issue with the roots but on the other hand i do find the nitrogen and phosphorus things some of the guys especially the guys that try to do stuff in furrow and go too high a rate it doesn't take much especially in a dry spring uh, what else, yeah. Ty, did you want to talk to us about when it comes to potassium today? Well, I guess, and not, I guess it's probably a brand, but I know that, um, you know, I've kind of leaned toward using KMAG wherever it made the most sense, where you get mm-hmm. the, the potassium, magnesium, and sulfur kind of into one product over something like, a, you know, a potassium chloride like potash. Um, but obviously with that, we got to watch on the expense of it as well. You know, you're looking, if you're trying to meet your K needs with KMAG, it's going to get very expensive very quickly, but... Um, we've seen some great response on, especially corn um, and definitely alfalfa. We've seen some great response on, on KMAG applications. Yeah, but you bring up a great point, potassium, magnesium, and sulfur. Just like we get a lot of questions about potassium sulfate. Okay, well, if all you needed was potassium and you don't need those other things, then yes, it is going to look expensive. But if you need some of those other things, you got to yeah. take some of those dollars and say, well, I would have spent something on magnesium. I would have spent something on sulfur. And it really depends depends on what your soil is like. So in heavy clay soils in the Midwestern United States, we've got an abundance, in many cases an overabundance of magnesium. So KMAG isn't that important. But for a lot of other people that have a different clay or or they have sandy soil, that KMAG really can work out well. Yeah, and that's, we get into some sandy soils when we get up closer to the Platte River and, you know, we get K readings that are down below 100 parts per million. So uh, but then on the other side of that, we're looking at magnesium that's, you know, maybe 40 parts per million and sulfur that's that's down under 10. And 
So we're really looking at the KMAG to to supplement or to um, make additions for all three of those nutrients in the profile. Yep, absolutely. Uh, well, we've been talking to Ty Fickenshire. Ty, thanks a lot for the time today. Really appreciate it. You bet. Thank you. Yep. All right, we're going to get right back to the phone lines here. We've got Lawrence calling in from Kansas with a question about dry fertilizer. Lawrence, how are you doing today? Doing great. I've uh, been up to a couple of your seminars in Kinsey's. Oh, awesome. I came... I came back and uh, all excited and decided I was going to redo my asparagus patch, which is not what I called you about, but I, it's thir- uh, 15 by 35, and after going yep. through all the Albrecht's formulas, I ended up with 61 pounds of chemicals on it, which <laughs> <laughs> which it tolerates the salt very, very well. It's, it's just going gangbusters. Oh, I've got a question. I've got a 15, I'm 81 years old, retired doctor. Okay. And uh, one of my professors way back said when he, if any of his patients died, uh, he wanted them to die in perfect electrolyte balance, <laughs> which is kind of funny. And I told my wife, I said, I'm going to spend some money and make this 15 acres perfect electrolyte balance before I die. So <laughs> I, I called, uh, I talked to uh, Kinsey, and I said, I want this soil to be something that the Hefty Brothers would appreciate. So. <laughs> We, uh, it's uh, got a pH of 5.6, cation exchange capacity of 24.7, and uh, calcium's 51, magnesium 10, potassium 3.6, so on and so on. Yep. And I have a source of of, uh, compost here. Okay. And I sent him off the samples, and he says, well, you can't put... Any more calcium to get that pH up unless you get the uh, magnesium up. You'll you'll mess that all up. So we're going to put on dolomite, uh, about a ton and a half an acre. Okay. And then we're going to put 10 tons of compost on. Okay. And, you know, if I put that on, and we're kind of no-till here, I'm going to be stratified, and I don't have time enough at 81 to have that work down. Okay. I've, I'm thinking about having the neighbor come over and disc it about say three inches deep sure and then come over and moldboard plowed it so it's down in the soil yep is that the way to do it well that's one way to do it i don't think that's certainly a bad way to do it but i i, I can only imagine many of our listeners who are uh hardcore no-tillers they're cringing right now but i agree with you 100 percent. our concern is if you're going to put that much fertility on and get it stratified um, how's that going to get down in the soil? And yes, there are some nutrients that will move pretty well. But when you've got a 24-something CEC, that's heavy soil. And your phosphorus isn't going anywhere. It's going to take years for your potassium to move down. So if you want it down there right away, I don't I don't know what else to tell you. I mean, there well, are other tillage I, tools I, you could I, use. but I left part of it out. Uh, I've got a couple little potholes in that, like two acres out of the 15. Okay. That are like three inches deep, so yep. uh, we're going to level that, and which means we're going to take four inches off of some of the ground, and we're going to take put it onto that other four inches and fill it up. Oh, okay. So uh, the, the no-till's already gone. Yeah, okay, okay. So, yep, you were going to do something anyway. I, I guess the only thing that I will say is don't expect too much when you start moving lots of dirt around. We have, we've done some building projects. We've done some different things to, um, to, to, to level things out, kind of like you're talking about. And usually it turns out good 
over time. But year one, you go, whoa, this area in the field doesn't look the best. It was fill dirt or whatever it was. So don't expect too much. But no, I, 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 I am fully supportive of what you're talking about. And then once you get that done, obviously you can certainly go back to no-till and your crops should be great moving forward. Hey, uh, Lawrence, thanks a lot for the call today. Really appreciate it. And we want to wish you the best of luck down there. Sure thing. Thank you. You bet. All right, today in the show, we are talking about potassium. We'll discuss that just a little bit more right after this break. We'll also get to your questions in the Ag PhD mailbag. If you've got a question for us, just email us here, radio at agphd.com. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Oh, my goodness. Did you see Bob's gorgeous soybean rose? Um, totally. I couldn't believe how clean, weed-free his entire field looked. I'm, like, so jealous. I heard he started using this new post-applied residual herbicide called Perpetuo, and it's burned down and long-lasting residual powers, making his soybeans, like, literally the talk of the town. Ah, so Perpetuo's his secret. Yep. Talk to your retailer or visit valent.com slash Perpetuo to learn more. Always read and follow label instructions. Stop losing money from your stored grain with the end zone fan control system from Farm Shop MFG. Hot spots and moisture in your bin can cost you thousands in lost revenue. The end zone monitors outside conditions to run your fans exactly when you want them to, naturally bringing your grain to ideal temperature and humidity. Master bin management with the end zone. For more information, visit farmshopmfg.com. You need a powerful herbicide to fight the war on weeds. Bellum is Rotam North America's Mesotrion herbicide, and it fights against the annual broadleaf weeds attacking your cornfields. Winning this battle means higher yields, lower cost to you, and maximized profitability. For long-lasting residual weed control, check out Evinco, Vilify, and our newest mix, Rixa. For application, flexibility, and season-long control, that's Evinco, Vilify, and Rixa, powered by Bellum. For more information, visit bellumherbicide.com. That's B-E-L-L-U-M herbicide.com. Success isn't just about maintaining your operation, how you make out for the season, or how much you can get from each acre. It's about doing precisely what needs to be done to feed your crop and grow your legacy, all the way down to the last drop. AgroLiquid Precision Crop Nutrition. Apply less, expect more. Find a retailer at agroliquid.com. Each year brings new and unique challenges to farming, and your operation needs to constantly adapt to meet them. That's why at AgBiome, we're working every day to bring you new and better solutions, microbial-based solutions that protect your crop and help it reach its full potential. To learn more about how we're doing it, visit agbiome.com. That's A-G-B-I-O-M-E.com. AgBiome, feeding the world responsibly, partnering with microbes for human benefit. Heat, drought, wind, hail, northern corn leaf blight, gray leaf spot. If your corn is under stress, you are too. Get Veltima fungicide, swift activity, with fast payback, an expanded application window. Makes life simple, and it's the secure choice. With powerful residual for visibly healthier corn. Swift, simple, secure. Veltima fungicide. Call your BASF rep today. Always read and follow label directions. Veltima fungicide is not registered in all states. Welcome back to Ag PhD Radio. 
I'm Brian Hefty. We're talking about potassium today, but we are more than happy to take your phone call. 844-44-AG-PHD. If you've got anything going on in your farm, anything you'd like to discuss with us, uh, we'd be happy to visit visit about that. And uh, John has done that from Minnesota. We're going to talk to him just a little bit. He's got a question on some weed control. John, how are you doing today? Well, we're doing pretty good. We, uh, we've got a beautiful crop started over here in the Osakas area. Excellent. Uh, so I, I, I hear you're interested in in what may have gone wrong with some uh, some herbicide that didn't work so well in the soybeans. Is that right? That is exactly right. Yep. Okay. Yep. So what happened? Okay, we pre-sprayed Tribal and Roundup. Okay, uh, this was on land that uh, that we didn't work in the spring. So say say that one more time. What did you spray with Roundup? Uh, tribal and Roundup. Tribal. Uh, yep. I'm not sure if I know what that is. Do you, uh, do you know what the active ingredient is or anything? I don't. No. Okay. Really well, any. Don't. All right. Well, anyway, go ahead. And uh, and then uh, and then after the soybeans got up, you know. Yep. Before heavy flowering and before potting. Mm-hmm. We sprayed Inzenia. Inzenia, yep. With Roundup also. Got it. Okay. And uh, then we got our soybeans in real early. Yep. Uh, a lot of them we had in, in April, okay? Yep. And we had one farm that uh, the ragweed and uh, water hemp all of a sudden was taller than the beans, okay? Okay. So we went back and uh, sprayed it with rifle and Roundup, and that cured the bean problem, or the weed problem, rather, okay? Okay. So then uh, on the other fields, because we got a white mold problem here, uh, we've had it for the last three, four years. Yep. And we're trying to do something to get rid of it. Yep. So what we did, we sprayed our heavy soil acres with Cobra, Roundup, and Warrant. Okay. And, of course, it turned the color of the beans, right? Yep. But we didn't have any problem with weeds coming after that on those acres. Okay. But the acres we didn't spray with that, we had, you know, water hemp ragweed coming. Okay, so, so anyhow, what okay, did I do wrong? <laughs> okay, so you said that where you sprayed dicamba and Roundup, you had weeds come back. Where you sprayed cobra, Roundup, and Warrant, you did not have weeds come back. Am I hearing you right? Okay, but we did spray Roundup with extend but it was really in xenia yeah and and then we came back several weeks later two weeks i think it was with cobra roundup and warrant okay just to get rid of the mold but i think it it smoked them weeds that were coming too yep yep and the thing is warrant has residual you know, dicamba, like Ingenia or Extendamax or any of those products, I think you mentioned Rifle, they don't have a whole lot of residual, just a little bit. Warrant does. 
Uh, and, uh, you know, Warrant's not that great a product. It's okay, but maybe that was just enough to help hold back the ragweed and water hemp, and it was just another shot on some of your weeds. I'll tell you, too, a lot of people have complained about resistance with ragweed and water hemp to Roundup. And I agree with that. I mean, there are a lot of resistant weeds out there. But what we found is if you happen to hit the timing just right, we actually have seen Roundup kill at least some of those ragweed and water hemp plants. So maybe you got a little bit out of the Roundup, some out of the Cobra, certainly, and then you got residual out of the Warrant. So, I mean, that's 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 my best guess to what's going on. I was just talking to a very experienced agronomist a couple of days ago about this, and he goes, Brian, I'm going to have literally all my farmers in South Dakota and Minnesota put warrant on or something similar early post-merge because he goes, I'm just not getting the control out of, I don't care if it's dicamba, 2,4-D, any of these things that don't have the residual. He was just saying, we need more residual because that water hemp, has, it's just gotten crazy here in the last few years. Yes. Yep. You know, last year, 2019 and 2018, we sprayed Extend. Yep. We never had any weeds come back in our beans. They stayed perfectly clean all year. You know, John, this just reminds me of my dad used to talk to me about dicamba because when I was a young agronomist about 30 years ago, we would have to go out there with, let's call it three quarters of a pint of Clarity or Banville in order to kill weeds. And even after a couple of years, I'm like, man, I don't know, this three quarters of a pint, I think we got to go a pint. And my dad just said, look, Brian, when we when dicamba first came out, he goes, I remember it well, because I literally sprayed a quarter of a pint, four ounces of on my cornfields, and it killed everything, the grass, the broadleaves, and I didn't have to spray again. And he said, every year after, I just have had to keep bumping the rate, bumping the rate, bumping the rate. It's like some of these weeds have just continued to build up tolerance. Well, if you look the last couple, three years, a lot of people have been spraying dicamba in corn and beans and everything, and maybe we're just building up more tolerance to it. Maybe we got to switch it up again. I don't know. I've been backing off on doing anything in the corn. I'm just reserving this for the soybeans. <laughs> yep, good idea. Uh, yeah. Yep, and, and, and we got a lot of people now next year looking at enlist beans because of what happened with the dicamba this spring and the labeling and all that stuff. So, you know, with Enlist, then you've got the option to spray Liberty out there, too. There's also Extend Flex that's going to be available for 2021, hopefully. It should get European approval shortly. But Extend Flex, you'd be able to spray Dicamba or Roundup, just like the Extend beans. But with Extend Flex, you could also spray Liberty on them. So having that Liberty out there would be pretty nice as another product that, you know, you could actually kill a lot of these weeds. Brian, what are we going to do two or three or four years down the road on these soybeans. I'm really nervous about that. Well, okay, so just yesterday I did training with a couple hundred agronomists from uh, around the northern half of the United States, and what I told them was this. I said, all right, every uh, for all of you agronomists, I realize you might like the enlist system, you might like the extend system. I said, I don't care. Neither one of them, in my opinion, is sufficient. 
I believe you need to put three different modes of action out there pre-emerge, and you don't have to spend a fortune. I mean, if you're in till, if you do a tillage system, you can use trifluralin together with metribuzin and either Valor or Authority. You're only going to spend maybe twelve to fifteen bucks, so it's not like it's that much money. But anyway, my point is, I just said I would suggest you do this first: do three pre's, uh, three modes of action, and then do two more modes of action early post. So, for example, you mentioned Cobra and Warrant. We often talk to people about. Flexstar and Warrant, or there's a product called Warrant Ultra that's a mixture of Flexstar and Warrant. There's also Anthem Max that's a mixture of Zidua and Cadet that's very, very similar. But the point is, now you've got five things out there uh, that have residual. So if you do the three pre's, you come early post with two more residual things, like I'm talking about Warrant Ultra or uh, Anthem Max. Okay, now we're in really good shape. Now we're getting ahead of these weeds. We've used many different modes of action. Then we can come with our Liberty or Roundup or Dicamba or 2,4-D or whatever after that. But yeah, it, it it we're just we're fighting a tough battle here. So I think I was talking about this on the show the other day that I was driving on Sunday with my 14-year-old daughter. We were looking at some fields, and this wasn't one of our fields, but we were driving past a field, and she goes, "Whoa, look at that field!" And I said, "Yes, the field." solid water hemp. I mean, solid water hemp. It was supposed to be a bean field of somebody's. But anyway, I said, uh, you probably don't know this, Delaney, but every one of those water hemp plants can put on a million seeds. So I said, just think about the trillions of weed seeds that are now going to be out in that guy's field, and it's not going to get cleaned up in a year. It's going to be years and years. So, John, I agree with you 100%. I mean, we got to start working hard on getting ahead of these weeds because at the moment, it kind of feels like they're getting a little bit ahead of us. Hey, John, we got to run, but thanks a lot for the call. Really appreciate it. Yeah, well, thanks for taking my call. I sure appreciate it. You bet. All right, we've been talking about potassium today, but right after this break, we are going to get to the Ag PhD mailbag and answer your questions. If you've got a question for us, just give us a call or send us an email, radio at agphd.com. Stay tuned. It's the Ag PhD mailbag next. Your land is a legacy, a challenge from those who tended it before you to build on their foundations. At Corteva AgriScience, we understand what it means to be the stewards of a legacy. We embrace the challenge of building on the foundation of Dow AgroSciences to maintain your trust, to bring new solutions, to help you care for your land. See how we can help build your legacy at rangeandpasture.com. Find your full potential and increase your bottom line with branded generic insecticides from Atticus LLC. Unwanted insects are a nuisance, but they're no match for Serpent from Atticus. Serpent delivers economical, fast-acting, broad-spectrum control to help your corn, soybeans, and wheat crops thrive. Growers across the region count on Atticus for relevant and reliable products that deliver results every time. Ask your local retailer about Atticus products and visit AtticusLLC.com to learn more. For value-based solutions you can trust, turn to Atticus. Always read and follow label instructions. Customer service goes a long way when trying something new. Ryan Shaw from Michigan shares how Soil Warrior helped him transition to strip tillage in his operation. The Soil Warrior guys, they are amazing to work with. They made this jump in this transition extremely painless. One question that I get all the time is, how is the service and everything? And I said, well, actually, I get better service from them than I typically do my dealers uptown. They're just amazing. More info at SoilWarrior.com. You deserve to have a building that will last for generations. 
With more than 110 years of experience and thousands of satisfied customers, Morton Buildings is the industry leader you can trust. Unlike other construction companies, you work with Morton Buildings craftsmen. From conception to completion, there's no better time to buy. Lock in your new building for 2020 today. Contact your local Morton sales office or visit mortonbuildings.com. Success isn't just about maintaining your operation, how you make out for the season, or how much you can get from each acre. It's about doing precisely what needs to be done to feed your crop and grow your legacy. All the way down to the last drop. AgroLiquid Precision Crop Nutrition. Apply less. Expect more. Find a retailer at agroliquid.com. Maintaining your crops is as important now as it's ever been. Howler, a revolutionary fungicide from AgBiome, can help. It provides long-lasting protection from a broad spectrum of foliar and soil diseases that affect crops. Howler is OMRI listed, has multiple modes of action, and has minimal pre-harvest and re-entry intervals. It's flexible, easy to use, and is available right now. Visit agbiome.com forward slash Howler to learn more. Hey everybody, come on in. Ag PhD mailbag is about to begin. All right, our first question today comes from Robert in Illinois. This one happens to be about potassium. He says, several times I've heard you guys say that getting potassium available in the soil is difficult because the potassium is coming from a rock. If potassium chloride is thrown out on an icy sidewalk, though, wouldn't the crystals dissolve fairly quickly and help melt the ice? Similarly, wouldn't muriate of potash dissolve fairly quickly in the soil and be water-soluble and available to crops? I think I'm missing something. Okay, so Robert, we're talking about several different things here. First of all, when we say potassium in the soil, most of the potassium in the soil is held in feldspars. Okay, it's not in the form of potash. It's held in feldspars. Feldspars are rocks. So that's where we start talking about potassium more potassium will come available as those rocks break down. The next thing, with potassium chloride thrown out on an icy sidewalk, when the crystals dissolve fairly quickly? Yes, because they're in water and people step over them. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, they're, they're, they're going to break down. Now, the question is, are they going to break down 100% immediately? How long is it going to take? That kind of thing. That's a good question. We talk quite often about where we farm especially, and here in the western corn belt, it's very common for us to be dry. And so I've given an example in uh, several times here on this show and during our workshops that we do and on our television show about how years ago, well, e even now, I mean, we do a lot of banded potassium with strip till placed deep. Like, I mean, we go as deep as 10 inches roughly. Okay, so we have done root pits the following summer, almost every single time after that, and we've done a lot of this over the years, and we have found sometimes, not often, but sometimes dry potash still sitting there at 10 inches deep the following summer. Okay, so the point is it didn't break down very well. And I'm not saying this happens all the time, but whenever we're real dry and in our heavy soils, 
sometimes we just don't have enough moisture there to fully dissolve things and dissolve it at the pace we want because also we don't have a lot of heat. We're frozen almost half the year. So that's just a little bit of background on that. But yes, I mean, normally, like in your area in Illinois, you get about twice the rainfall we do most likely. So you're going to dissolve it faster. And I'm not too worried about throwing potash out there, especially if you're doing it relatively shallow. So anyway, nothing to get too terribly concerned about, but yeah, we're kind of talking about different things just a little bit. And with the rocks, I'm talking more about, hey, a lot of potassium in the soil is held in feldspars. All right, next one here comes from Robert, and he says, we used petiole sampling on our cotton crop years ago, and based on that recommendation, we applied nitrogen and some sugar, foliar, uh, when in bloom, and I wish at the time we would have added some potash. Well, look, Robert, whether it's cotton, it's corn, it's soybeans, I mean, most crops need a lot of potassium. And one of the challenges where cotton is grown is, you think about it, there's more rain, there's more heat, and usually it's pretty light soil. Cotton does quite well on light soil. So if you've got all those factors, that means that potassium isn't going to stick around in the soil super long, or certainly as long as what we deal with here in the upper Midwest. So yes, it is much more likely that throwing some potassium out in season is really going to pay. Uh, so just earlier in the show, we were talking to Bill Brush out in California, same kind of thing. You know, they've got a lot more heat. They don't always have more moisture, but, but I mean, in terms of rainfall, but there is a lot of irrigation out there. They have some light soils. And so in those cases, and even maybe it's a high magnesium soil, that's something that he mentioned too. We talked about that just a little bit earlier in the show. There get to be some challenges in the high magnesium soils, getting enough potassium into the plant. So sometimes you need to spoon feed it. And I, I, I just know this, we've got to figure out a way to get enough potassium into that plant to do well. And it is a big time limiting factor in a lot of situations. All right, next question comes from Matt. And he says, hi, hey guys. I have corn aphids. I sprayed fungicide, Quilt XL, and silencer, that'd be a lambda, a, a pyrethroid insecticide, at three ounces on August 1st with a plane. Now, Matt, let me stop you right there. Three ounces on silencer is a three-quarter rate. 3.84 ounces is the full rate, and always please do that. It costs pennies more. I mean, maybe... 50 cents more at the most to put in that extra 0.84 ounces, and it does help, and it definitely helps with residual. But anyway, continuing on. He says the fields have been relatively clean until three days ago. I noticed a corn aphid explosion on the lower leaves on Friday the third or the 15th. Uh, let's see, I think Friday is the 14th. But anyway, uh, <laughs> the point is uh, he, he now has... Uh, these corn leaf aphids, and he says they've been working up the plant since. My corn's at a quarter to a third milk line. According to your GDU app, uh, I have about 300 units till maturity. Uh, so I would say my projected yield is 220 to 250, and I'm just wondering would it be worth it to spray again for the aphids, being that they're in the lower portions of the plant, would the chemical even get down in the canopy to kill them? Projected cost for the plane is 9 bucks, 2 to $4 for the chemical. Thanks for the input. Okay, so Matt, would I spray? No. 
That's the quick answer. It's too late in the season. I'm not really too worried about it. Where I worry most about corn leaf aphids is when they're on the tassel and especially right around that flowering kind of timing. Uh, so when your corn is tasseling, silking, and just a little bit earlier in the season, you're close to maturity. You're not all that far away from black layer. And so to think that they're going to hurt anything at this point, no way. Nope. So no, I would not spend the money. And yeah, it costs a lot of money when you start saying, hey, I got to get it custom applied and I have to have it aerial applied. $9 is a lot of money. So that totally changes everything. We talk about that all the time here on the show. We've got to focus on the agronomics, but we also have to focus on the economics. And if I'm out there spraying something else anyway, like early on, you know, he said he was out spraying fungicide. Well, that's a piece of cake. You just throw this insecticide in for two bucks, no big deal. But if now your insecticide cost is two bucks, plus you got to spend $9 to make a special trip, well, $11, there's no way you can afford that. No way. It's not going to pay. And even if you, even if it did cost just $2, it's too late. I wouldn't be worried about it at this point. All right. Uh, Let's see. Next one is from, I believe it's Kylo, uh, about common mallow. We were talking about this on our television show. <laughs> and he, uh, they say here, uh, well, hey, I'm listening to your show or watching, when I watch your show, one guy says spray in the fall. The other guy says spray in the spring. Not sure this is the best format for an informational video. And it's not the first time I've seen you guys contradict each other. All right. So Kylo, I, I apologize if we're confusing you, but Part of why we do what we do on our television show and radio show, a little bit of, of it is just so people kind of get the feel of, hey, this is what farmers deal with every day. Most far, well, I shouldn't say most. I believe most farmers farm with somebody in their family. And it is very common when you're farming with somebody in your family for you to not agree. So that's why we kind of debate some of these things. And I would tell you, I don't care when you spray your common mallow. You can kill it any time. Uh, we do worry about if it gets too late in the fall and you're after your first hard-killing frost, yeah, then you're not going to have as good of activity with a herbicide, but it's generally not a, a big deal at that point anyway. But, yeah, I don't care if you spray in the spring or the fall, whatever. If you've got weeds out there, go out and get them under control, and with common mallow, either way will be fine. But anyway... Um, it's very common, too, where there could be two right answers. We don't know what's going to happen with the weather. Um, and, and so sometimes it's, hey, I prefer this. I prefer that. But let's be honest, in, in both cases, they probably work. What we often tell people to do, too, is try some things out. So let's say you're listening today, somebody else is listening today, and you go, yep, I've got a brother, i got a dad, i got a son, whatever, and we disagree on things quite often. I say to people all the time, look, for Darren and me, yeah, we're not going to agree on stuff 100% of the time. But I honestly do not care if I'm right or wrong. I just want to make sure that at the end of the day or, or years later, we have figured out what the right answer truly is. And so we'll put it to the test out in the field. And quite frankly, if Darren's right, I still win because we're farming together. And then we've learned something. So anyway, uh, it's one of the things that our dad told us all the time, too. He's like, hey, if you're going to try stuff, that's great. Make mistakes. Just make them on a smaller scale. All right. Um, 
anyway, I, I had another question. I was all, all ready to go. I get all excited about all these questions, and we're out of time. I apologize. But, uh, but anyway, we'll get to more of those questions tomorrow in our Ag PhD mailbag time. Uh, before we go, I just want to say thanks to our production staff. Appreciate what you do every day. Uh, thanks to our guests and those who called or wrote in with questions. Really appreciate that. Uh, and before we go, I, I, I guess I, I just want to say as we're going into the fall harvest season, please stay safe on your farm. Please be checking your grain bins, checking all the equipment on your farm. Be safe in your operation. Well, thanks for listening today and be sure to join us again each weekday for more Ag PhD Radio.